This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Amen. Well, we've already had a pretty good time this morning so far. We've had a full service already. I know the Lord's speaking to my heart, and I believe that He's going to be speaking to your heart also. Uh, I'm excited. This is the first Sunday of 2019, as we've discussed a little bit. And you made the best decision of all to be in the house of God uh, to start the new year. And that's a beautiful thing. And uh, I, I've got a word from the Lord this morning that I really believe is going to speak to your heart. And it's it's a word to encourage you. And I just I want everybody to know, too, how much you are loved. OK, Jesus loves you. And you're like, well, I know that seriously. You need to know that he loved you enough to adopt you. He loved you enough to bring you into his family. And, and according to Romans eight, it says that that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You are adopted into the family of God. You've got a loving father. You've got an amazing big brother named Jesus, who's the biggest, most amazing big brother you could have of all time. And I want you to know, too, that the Samples family loves you a whole lot. You know, I mean, I'm not the best at always saying that type of a thing because, uh, you know, I'm not a super emotional type of dude. But at the same time, the Samples family loves every person in this room. And we realize uh, how much you guys uh, sacrifice and do to be a part of this church family and to help bless our entire family. You guys are the most amazing people on the face of the earth. I got myself into trouble in 2012. And uh, and you guys raised like three or four thousand dollars to get my family and I back within just a matter of a week, man. We, you know, we needed to get back to Barstow and, and this church people that didn't hardly have any money, man. Just three fourth. I forget how much it was. Maybe it was five thousand dollars. But you got us back here out of a big pickle. And and so I want you to know you are very much loved. You guys are the best people in the world. All right. Give yourselves a hand and sorry for being sappy. All right. No more of that. No more of that. Okay, uh, this morning the title of the message is this, Build Yourself an Ark. Build Yourself an Ark. And I'm going to look at a few verses here in a minute. But if you need an outline for the message, raise your hand and the ushers are uh, going to give you one. But you need to realize that in this world, have you seen that there are storms going on anywhere? I'm not talking about necessarily physical storms, so that could be the case, but there are storms that come against you in life. Is there anybody in this room this morning that you have faced a storm or two in your life or has it been smooth sailing for your entire existence? I mean, I'm telling you, man, I've got a good life. I am a very blessed man, but it has not been without storms. It has not been without floods. It has not been without a little bit of opposition. But listen to me right now. The good news is, is that we always triumph in Christ Jesus. But I want to show you something this morning here that God spoke to a great man named Noah. We're going to go way back to the beginning here in Genesis chapter 6. Let's look at Genesis 6. I need to show you a few things this morning, and then I'm going to teach you how to build an ark. We are going to teach you this morning how to build an ark for yourself, for your family. And by an ark, I mean a place of protection for you and your family, a place of peace for you and your family. And you need to live in the ark because, listen, 
there's storms and there's a flood coming upon this earth at some point in time. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about a physical flood, but there is things coming according to what Jesus told us in Matthew 24, Luke 17. But here we are. Genesis chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. I'm going to read this in the New King James. It says, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God said, there's something coming down the pike here, and not only is the earth going to get destroyed, people are going to get destroyed. But verse 14, God gave Noah these instructions. He said, make yourself an ark. And then he told him the rest of how to make it. But God said, listen, there's a flood coming. You better make yourself an ark. And God could be saying the same thing to you right now in 2019. He could be saying to you, listen, there's a flood coming at some point. You build yourself an ark because I don't want you to get destroyed in it. And I love how the Message Bible put these couple of verses. You can just look at these on the screen. Now, the Message Bible, is, it's kind of an interesting uh, paraphrase of the Bible. But I like it, it. It just really makes it raw right here. And it's almost humorous. It says, as far as God was concerned, the earth had become a sewer. There was violence everywhere. God took one look and saw how bad it was. Everyone corrupt and corrupting. Life itself was corrupt to the core. I'm like, man, that sounds like the world that we see in 2019. That sounds like what I see on TV every day. God said to Noah, it's all over. It's the end of the human race. The violence is everywhere. I'm making a clean sweep. Build yourself an ark. And so listen to me, there will come a point in time when things happen around you. Things happen uh, to this world. But God's saying, don't be afraid. Listen to me closely, though. Build yourself an ark and then you'll be okay. And so I'm telling you today that God is speaking to you and saying, build yourself an ark and then get on the ark, get on the boat. And then when when the destruction comes, you're going to be safe. And that may not sound very encouraging, but I am totally here to encourage you today and let you know that this is going to be the best year that you've ever had in your life so far. If you'll build yourself an ark and if you will do things God's way and to take things even further, you don't have to flip there. But in, in Luke chapter 17, 26 and 27, Jesus said, when the son of man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. Don't you think it's like it was in Noah's day right now? In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. Listen, you don't got to be afraid of floods if you've got a great big boat, do you? Come on. I see these floods and things on TV. I haven't seen one in Barstow so much yet. But at the same time, I see floods on the news and stuff. And that's a bad spot to be in. But some people, they just got a great big boat and they're maybe floating down the street or whatever, but they're warm, they're safe. Listen to me. If you've got an ark, you're not afraid of the flood. Now, if you don't have an ark, you're terrified of the flood because it's coming. You may not know when it's coming, but it is coming and you're not prepared at all. And so God told us how to prepare ourselves. God told us how to be ready. 
for when floods come in this life, for when storms come in this life, you can be ready. And if you're on the ark, man, you just look and see what's going on. And Psalm 91 promised us that only with your eyes will you behold what's going on with the wicked. You'll only see it with your eyes, but you don't have to experience all of that yourself. And so there's good news for you today that if you will build yourself an ark, you are going to be safe. Your family's safe. You're protected. And I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, every which way. God wants to preserve you and keep you safe. Can I get an amen in here this morning? Is that right? Okay. And so we're going to look at a few things here about what it takes to build an ark. And there's three three things that I've got here today. And of course, we could say more, but we're going to talk about three things. What it takes to build an ark. Number one is this. It takes God's word. God's word. You are not going to build a secure place for you and your family without the word of God being the main thing. And everybody, again, everybody says, eh, I know that. I, I, amen to that. Listen, don't say amen to do it. To it, actually do it. Make God's word a priority in your household this year. Whether you're single, whether it's just you and your, your spouse, whether you've got a big old family, whatever the case is, make the word of God a priority. Don't just say amen. Actually do it. And so let's look this morning at Matthew 24, verse 35. Now, I've got a lot of verses today, so you just you keep up with us. Matthew 24 and verse 35. And if you're going to make a secure life for you and your family, for you and your children, for people that you care about, and you're going to try to do it God's way, listen to me. You're going to have to use the word of God as the foundation, as the chief ingredient for it. And that doesn't just mean reading it and being inspired by it. That means obeying what it says to do for you, right? That's right, man. You got to actually obey what it's saying to you. And so here we are in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. And Matthew 24 is a very significant portion of scripture because it's where Jesus tells the disciples what the world will be like in the end times and right before Jesus comes back. And so he, he's walking along with the disciples one day and he and they say, hey, man, isn't this temple amazing? And he's like, yeah, that temple's amazing. But I'm telling you what, right now, not one stone's going to be left on top of another. And they said, what? The temple's going to be destroyed. He said, not one stone will be left on top of another. That thing's going down. And they couldn't believe it because that was like the, that was their everything to them. The temple meant so much to the Jewish people. And he said, listen. I know it took a long time to build, and it seems like the most secure thing in your life, it's coming down. And they said, well, my gosh. Well, if that happens, then what else is going to happen? He said, listen up, kids. I'm going to tell you what it's going to be like before everything comes down. And then he tells you what the world's going to be like in the very end of days. And if you read it, you can read the whole thing. It's exactly the world that you live in today. But here we are, Matthew 24, and we're going to look here at verse 25. Jesus said something significant about the word of God. He said, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Can you imagine that the earth will literally be gone? I don't think you can imagine that. I don't think that you can imagine that at some point, everything you see will not be here any longer. Jesus said, heaven and earth will disappear But there's one thing that will never disappear, the word. My words will never disappear. Now, in our life, in our generation, in our culture, uh, for us, 
there's not a lot of things that just last a super long time anymore. I mean, you know, there's this old phrase, they don't build them like they used to. And I got to say, there's some truth to that. There's a lot of stuff that, I mean, you, you know, you may spend a whole lot of money on something and then it lasts two or three or four years and then it's no good anymore because it, it, it was intended to not last forever, even though it was expensive and you thought it was really cool, whether it be your iPad or whatever the case is. It may be the best thing right now, but it's not going to last forever. It's not even going to be cool next year or this time. There's a lot of things, I mean, houses and cars and, and things that they just don't build them. They are not made to last forever. But Jesus said, my words will never disappear. My word will stand. It will last forever. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to build my life upon something here, if I'm going to lay a foundation for my wife and children and my family and my household, do I want to lay it upon something that's cool for now? Or do I want to do I want to build a foundation on something that's literally never going to disappear? Think about this. If your foundation in life is the word of God, Jesus said this is the most secure thing you could build your life upon because it's never going away. Think about the things that we build our life upon, because everybody's trying to build an ark of some kind, whether you'll admit it or not, or whether you realize it or not. We're all trying to build Somehow, a place of safety and protection and peace to live in and for our children to live in. and for our, We're all trying somehow to build some sort of an ark for ourselves, but we're building out of a lot of really not good stuff sometimes. We may be trying to, you know, we're trying to paste dollar bills together and just surround your family with money. And, oh, man, that'll make them secure. That, we know. I mean, I'm not even going to go there. That's a terrible foundation. You can't build it. You can't build safety and protection out of money. Or maybe you're trying to build it out of, man, we just, our family, we're cutting edge. We've always got the newest stuff. We're always right on it, man. We are, we are just, we're hip, man. We're, 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 with, we're up with it. That's fine. That's cool. But that's a really bad way to build an ark for yourself. That's a terrible foundation. There's one thing in this life. That will never change, never go away, and will never disappear. And that's the word of God. And I'm telling you right now, you need to get yourself in it. In it. Live inside of the word of God. That is what you're supposed to build your ark out of. And so if you're going to see your family and yourself stay safe and protected, warm and dry. I was glad last night it was cold and rainy outside. I was glad to have a nice warm place to be in last night. But if you're going to have an ark for you and your family, you better start taking the word of God seriously. And I mean that with all my heart, because there's a lot of Christians that don't really take God's word seriously. They do not take it serious. They like it. They enjoy it. But it's not that big of a deal to them. Can you imagine just a second with me? Somebody that only eats one time a week, and it's on Sunday. They don't eat for six days out of the week, Monday through Saturday, they don't eat. But sure enough, on Sunday, it's marked on the that's eating day. Man, I, I eat every Sunday whether I need it or not. That's my one day that I set aside for, for having a meal. That would be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? You would, I don't care who you are, you can't be a healthy and strong individual if you eat one meal a week. Now, you see where I'm going. Let's take it. How do you think that you're going to be a healthy, strong person spiritually if you only eat on Sundays? 
Come on, right? You're weak. You may think that you've got it all. You may think that you're, you're all that. But listen to me. If you only eat a spiritual meal one time a week and it's one of us spoon feeding it to you and you're not even doing it yourself and you think that you're going to be strong and go whip the devil. Oh, man, we're doing some spiritual combat right now. No, you're not. You get your butt kicked because you you're weak. You are you. You have to eat more than that in order to be a healthy person. What if we took God's word as seriously as we do our meals? And I know some of us dudes around here, we take our meals very seriously. A lot of the guys have an entire trip planned to an all-you-can-eat lobster buffet on, on, later on this month. I mean, food's a big deal to a lot of us guys. And, and, and that, that's, you know, in, in the right way. That's okay. That's fine. But what if you were that passionate about God's word as you are about your food? What if there was, you know, TV shows about, you know, diners driving and all that, and, and, and it was all, what if there was, what if you were that passionate about getting God's word into you as you were the next taco or the hot wing or the burrito or the lobster? What if you were that just, man, oh, I gotta, I gotta get to the Bible right now, man. I tell you what, I, I, I read this morning for a little bit, but I need more, man. I can't wait. It was so good, but I, I need some more of the word of God. If that's your life, if that's your attitude, I'm not concerned about you. You're in good shape. You're going to be all right. No matter what comes down the pike, you're going to be all right because you're building yourself an ark. And so if you want to get strong, you're going to have to eat more than one time a week. And that's good, man. You're here. That's that is huge. And we're going to get to that. But you need to start eating on a regular basis. You need to have a healthy, steady diet of God's word this year if you're going to get anywhere. And I'll tell you this much, you know, have you ever noticed that when you don't, when you don't eat, I mean, it not only starts to affect you where you feel weak, it affects your mind. You can't even think straight. Someone's like, hey, do you want to go do this? Um, I can't, I don't know, I haven't even ate today. I can't even think straight right now. I don't even know. I, I can't, I can't make up my mind. That happens to your body. I see it happening to Christians all the time. They're foggy-minded, they're double-minded, they're unstable. They can't even, they're just all over the place mentally because they have not eaten for five, six days, maybe two weeks, maybe a month. They haven't touched any spiritual food. It affects every part of our lives. And I want to show you something. Let's look at Psalm 119. That's kind of my go-to chapter lately. Psalm 119. But sometimes you see someone doing something stupid. You're like, what were they thinking? Anybody do that? Obviously, you don't have kids. But I'm telling you right now. Sometimes you see somebody do something and you're like, man, were they even thinking what that was just crazy? Why'd they do that? And, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe it's for any number of reasons. But I know that sometimes you see even good, nice Christians doing things like they know better than that. They just haven't eaten in so long. They're 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 not there. They're foggy upstairs that, that something's going on. But they're not they're not in their right mind because they're starving. Psalm 119 and verse 9, and I'll, I'll, I'll just give you this encouragement. It's a whole lot harder to do stupid things if you just got done reading the Bible. I know that's not deep, but just take that for what it's worth. If you, I mean, if you just got done reading your Bible that morning, it's a whole lot, it's a whole lot harder to just go out and do something really stupid because you got the Word of God on your heart and on your mind. And you're not, and, and, and it's incredible how much easier life is. When we spend time with God. But King David said in Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young person stay pure? And I hear people, you know, ask, yeah, man, how, 
how could a young person even stay pure in this day and age? How could you even? I mean, everybody's, you know, getting with some. Listen to me. How can a young person stay pure? Well, here it is. By obeying your word. Thank you for your thunderous. Thunderous. I mean, I feel the I feel the excitement right now. Man, yes. Even if you don't say amen, that's true right there. It's not that people, and I'm not going into all this, but even now people are just shocked when Katie and I got married at 19 years old, never lived together, never even were intimate together, and people are shocked and look at me like I'm just some sort of a freak of nature that I married somebody and we've never been intimate with other people, only with each other, and never before we were married. And I'm some sort of a freak of nature. How did you even do that? By obeying God's word, I, I didn't really even, it wasn't that big of a deal. I you know, read the Bible and, and it, it wasn't that hard. And, and I'm, I'm not condemning and making anybody feel, but, but I'm just saying it is possible to stay pure, young people, old people, middle, whatever you are. It is possible by obeying God's word. If you love God's word and that's the foundation of your, there's a lot of things that you probably think are impossible right now in your life. That if you got into the word of God, you'd see that it's not impossible. It's very much possible to do that. It is totally possible. Anyway, I can see that we're, that's a popular topic. Let's go to verse 11. Maybe this will get better for us. I, I, I promise you, I'm here to encourage you today. That is my total goal. But King David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If the word's hidden in your heart, it's a whole lot harder to sin. Look at verses 57 and 58. Because Psalm 119, and I've said this a thousand times lately, it is the longest chapter in the entire Bible, 176 verses, and it's all about King David's passion and how in love he is with God's word. He wrote an entire 176 verses about it. But verses 57 and 58, he says, Lord, you are mine. I promise to obey your words. With all my heart, I want your blessings. Be merciful as you promised. And so I will tell you right now, if you want the blessing of God on your life, on your children, on your marriage, on your household, you have to make God's word a priority in your life. Whether you agree with that statement or not, that's fine, but it's the truth. If you want God's blessing upon you and your children and your relationships and and your household and your family and your marriage, you are going to have to make God's word a priority in your life and you've got to start somewhere and you may be like well well i don't think we could just do listen start somewhere and i I mean this you know we've got we sit down and do a, a an entire uh scripture reading every month of the year 12 months out of the year it's in the lobby there it's on facebook it's on the website even if you read those to your kids do it even if you open your bible app and read the verse of the day to them Start somewhere, but you have got to start making the word of God a priority in front of your, 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 your spouse and in front of your children. You've got to do it. You have to do it. They've got to get the word hidden in their heart at this age, parents. It's a big deal that you read the word to your children, whether it's a scripture at breakfast, whether it's before bedtime. And again, this isn't deep. This isn't rocket science, but you've got to start doing this. Promise me. That this year, you'll start making God's word a priority to you, to your children, to your spouse, to your household. Do it. You're not going to regret it. I, I promise you that next New Year's, you're not going to look back and say, 
There it is. I, I knew something was wrong this year. We read too much Bible. That was the problem. That's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, and in fact, the more that you make it a priority, the more you read it, you're going to look back and say, man, I wish we could have read more Bible this year. Anyway, so you're building an ark for you, for your children, for your spouse, for your grandchildren, for your family. You're building an ark. And the first thing that you're going to have to do is build it out of God's word. And the second thing I'm going to say for you is this, is you're going to have to use God's house. God's house. And by that, of course, we mean where you are right now, church. And I want to show you a verse right here in Hebrews 10, 25. And we're going to read this in the Living Bible. And this is uh, it's our verse of the year this year. But, you know, I, I obviously I, I was I was raised in, in church very frequently. My dad was a pastor and we had six services or something a week. So I was there a lot. And I look back, man, and I'm so thankful. Oh, my gosh. I am. I have not one regret for my parents taking me to church. And I mean, yeah, there's probably times I want to. And back in the day, listen, you know, whenever whenever the playoffs were going on or something, I remember in 1997, the Pacers played the Bulls in the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. And we didn't know nobody had their little phones out or whatever. And, and, and so we had to have a radio station in the bathroom. Yeah. And so we each took turns going to the men's bathroom and getting an update on the score. And then you'd get back into church and, and listen. And, and then the next guy would take a turn and go listen. And, and so I, I, I don't what I'm saying. Is, I don't have any. I didn't miss out on a thing. I am so happy. I am so thankful that I was. Something's going on in the front row here. I think I think my dad just found out something that anyway. <laughs> oh, OK, well. Apparently, I got to have a meeting with my parents. Uh, if I'm not here next Sunday, it's because I was fired. But uh, same time, you keep coming. You you be here uh, anyway. But I don't have a single regret in this world. I don't look back and say, "Man, they we went to church way too much." I I love it. I'm so glad that I was in the house of God and that I wasn't out learning things from different wrong people and bad influences. I'm so thankful. The best gift I ever had. And, but right here, Hebrews 10.25, the Living Bible, it says, Let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other. Encourage and warn each other. Let the preacher encourage and warn you. Well, that's fine, but you all have a responsibility to each other, right? We all have a responsibility. You are to encourage and warn each other. And it says, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. And so if there's ever a time to be surrounded by your church family, if there's ever a time to be in the house of God, it's especially now that the day of his coming back is drawing near. And I would say especially in 2019, it would be a really great time to start making a priority for you and your children to take God's word seriously, to take God's house seriously. And, you know, Satan has this master trick that he uses, and it's called the trick of false security. False security. And I, I know a lot of people that they're like, oh, you know what, I, we're, it's not, 
I don't know. We're, we're just gonna we're just gonna back it off a little bit from this whole you know maybe God's word thing, maybe God's house thing, and and just start doing us for a little bit. And for a while, man, hey, there's peace, there's calm. And you think, see, everything's fine. I don't know. What we I don't know what we were worried about all those years, man. Like something bad was gonna happen if we just just kind of made God a little. You know, that's false security. Satan's waiting for you just to get a little, you're swimming out to deeper water. He's not going to nab you as soon as you get out of the boat. He's going to wait till you're way out there, and then he's going to crash down on you. Of course nothing happened the first time that you just like, well, I'll just do a little bit of this and a little bit. Of course nothing happened. Because Satan wants to give you that sense of false security for you to think, yeah, everything's fine. I, I knew it. I knew it. No big deal. False security. He's just waiting until you're way out there. Till you're way gone. And then, boom, that's when he'll strike. And I'm just, I'm telling you, I may not be the oldest guy in the world, but I have seen a lot in 33 years, and I've seen this happen about a thousand times. I have seen it. And so I want to share with you a couple of things here that I find very interesting. Very, and I want you to, I want you to listen to this. Very interesting. Uh, because whether you know it or not, even the secular world, even the academic world, undeniably knows that there are undeniable benefits to people that attend church on a regular basis. And, and I, I, I looked up some astounding things the last few days as I studied for this, and, and I was just shocked at some of the things that I read about secular universities realizing how uh, beneficial it is for somebody to belong to a church and regularly attend. And you listen, I realize it. I'm preaching to the choir. We're, I'm looking at a lot of very regular, very committed church-going Christians. Okay? And so, more than anything, this should encourage you. What I'm going to show you, this should just b- encourage you more than anything else. I, I've got a church this morning full of very committed uh, Christians. But in 2017, Professor Marino Bruce of Vanderbilt University and Professor David Geffen of U- the UCLA School of Medicine completed a study of 5,449 people. That's a lot of people. They discovered that middle-aged adults who attend church regularly actually reduced their risk for mortality by 55%. They also said for those who did not attend church at all in this middle-aged group, they were twice as likely to die prematurely than those who did not attend church. Twice as likely. Uh, that's, I don't know if you know statistics, twice as much is a big jump. Twice as much likely to die prematurely. That's incredible. Researchers at the University of Texas, University of Colorado, and Florida State University tracked 22,000 regular church attenders as well as occasional attenders and non-attenders over a nine-year period. So we got a few different, out of 22,000, people that go all the time like you, yahoos. Then you got people that come occasionally, and then you got people that never come. And what they found is this, that the non-attenders have the highest risk of early death, and that the, the, the risk of early death decreases as church attendance increases. This isn't, I didn't do this poll. I didn't, I didn't get my pastor buddies. This is major universities that are not Christians that tracked 22,000 people for nine years. This is not a Christian survey. Are you, are you just, I just want you to know this isn't a skewed thing. This is a, 
I mean, if anything, they would want to be biased towards the other direction. Out of 22,000 people, it says the more somebody attends church, less their chances of a premature death. Isn't that, that, that's like, that's incredible. But I want to go on a little bit here. The report called Religious Involvement and U.S. Adult Mortality says life expectancy in the U.S. for weekly churchgoers is 82 years old and 83 years for those who attend more than once a week. For those that never attend church, the average lifespan is 75 years. That's an eight-year difference. Do you realize how huge that is in terms of statistics? Eight years? That's huge. Just because somebody makes God's house their ark and a priority. I'm getting somewhere with this. Eight years in this, in this type of a, that is huge. That's huge. And it's no wonder. I mean, we know why. WebMD.com has an entire article about why attending church is good for your health. And Time Magazine, who I find to be very ungodly, in February of 2018, they did an entire, an entire article on why people should actually attend a church for health reasons. I'm like, what? They see this. The world sees this. Now, if we could see this, if we, if we that say we're Christians could just see how how, 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 even going to church will change your actual health. That's huge. Now, of course, there's other facts. You need to live a healthy life and eat. That's all great and good. But simply being in God's house can extend somebody's life. I find that just absolutely incredible. But I want to take it a step further, if I may. And I want to talk about marriage for this. Because there's a, a Harvard, Harvard, okay, Harvard University. They completed a several-year study, uh, a research of of of, uh, of couples, and this is just I love this because the the divorce rate amongst the general populace is around 50 percent, and that's really sad. That started in the 70s when California introduced the no-fault divorce law, and that's a bad thing. That's not cool. That's not good. But since then, divorces have skyrocketed to nearly half of marriages. And that's a, that's a scary and bad thing. But a Harvard study found out that for couples who attend church nearly every week, read their Bibles, pray privately and together, they enjoy a significantly, significantly lower divorce rate than the rest of the population. And this isn't talking about people that say they're a Christian or that just casually, you know, well, you know, we go when it's convenient. People that are committed like you people, to God's house and to God's word, that divorce rate is below 10%. 10%. That's crazy to go from 50% to 10%. That's, I mean, that's almost unheard of in this type of, uh, of research. To, to go from, but, but to take it a step further. I found this just absolutely incredible. And, and the researcher was Shanti Feldhahn uh, from Harvard University. She also found that Christian couples who do not live together before marriage, that rate is around 5%. I'm sorry, but that, this is good news. This is exciting, man. This is awesome. 
And so there's a lot that goes into marriage and your health and all sorts of stuff. But you're way on the right track if you're making God's house a priority in your life. Statistically speaking, you've got a very, very small chance of failure. And I didn't need that to tell me that. I needed God's word to tell me that. And that, that's good enough, even if I didn't have this stuff. And I don't mean to get into statistics in such a big way. I'm done with the stats, so you can relax now. But at the same time, isn't that incredible that a whole bunch of universities are verifying what you and I already knew? We knew this the whole time. We knew this. But they're verifying and they're proving out what God's word says. And so just based off of that right there, man, I'm excited for my life. You should be excited for your life. You're doing things the right way and you are going to succeed. That, I mean, I thought that was a good time to say amen. That's a, Come on. You will always triumph in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthened you. You are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. If God is for me, who can be against me? I don't care who's against me if God's for me. That's the best news I've heard in a really, really long time. I'm going somewhere, people. You're going somewhere. And when you get there, you're going to kick butt. You're going to succeed. You're going to rise to the top. You always triumph in Christ Jesus. And while everyone else is out there floundering, I'm just on my warm, cozy ark. I'm on my ark, man. I am in the ark and only with my eyes will I behold and see the reward of the wicked, according to Psalm 91. And so let's look at a couple things. Psalm 122, man. Do you love God's house? Do you love the house of God? Man, I, I love the house of God. And it's not just because, you know, well, I'm a pastor. I, I Even if I wasn't, I love the house of God. When we were in school in Oklahoma, I wasn't a pastor then, but we were at church all the time. And I mean, you know, we didn't, there wasn't a whole lot. I, I didn't preach or anything. It was a great big church. I passed out donuts on Sunday. That was my job, and I loved it. I passed out Krispy Kremes on Sunday, and that was my job in the church, and I loved it. And Katie loved it, because when you're a Christian, I don't see how you don't love being in God's house around God's people. It's nice to be around other believers. You've been out there in the world getting puked on all week at the Marine base at, at Fort Irwin out there at the railroad. They've been nasty and uh, wherever it is you work, they've been vomiting their garbage on you all week long. Isn't it nice to come in to an ark full of other believers that are just like you and they love you? And, and isn't that a nice thing? It's nice to get in from out from the rain and come in with the other believers. Psalm 122 verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad, man. I was glad when they said it's time for church. Wake up. Let's go. The message Bible says when they said, let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. And I'm telling you, that's the attitude that a believer has about the house of God. Amen. It is a good thing. Psalm 84, verse 10. Check that one out. Psalm 84, verse 10. We're laying a lot out there today, but hey, it, it takes a minute to build an ark. You, and we are built. Who wants to build an ark for themselves and their family this year? I'm going to be in that ark. I will be in that ark. My ark has Wi-Fi. It's incredible. Yeah. 
Yes. And Amazon even delivers via the. Yeah, it's cool. But Psalm 84, verse 10, it says a single day in your courts or in your house is better than a thousand anywhere else. One day at church is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Now, what's the gatekeeper? Well, that's that, that's somebody that may not have the most significant job. That's someone that may not have the most high profile thing. That may be the guy that takes out the trash or sweeps the park. He said, I would rather take out the trash in church than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. One day in the house of God is better than a thousand anywhere else. Amen to that. And so I'm telling you. If you're going to build an ark for you and your family, you're going to make God's word a priority in your life. And you're going to make God's house a priority in your life. And I'm not saying that because I want more people to come to church. And I, uh, man, stop that. It's for your benefit. It's for you. It's for you, man. That's for, it's not for me. It's for you. Your life is better when you're surrounded by these people. When you're worshiping at this altar, when you're when, when you're getting fed the word of God, your life is better. And so the third thing we're going to say to the, today is this: we're building an ark. We're going to need God's word. We're going to need God's house, but we're going to have to do it God's way. God's way. Now I'm talking about for real, making Jesus your Lord, right? Making Jesus your, because a lot of us, yeah, man, I, I, I'll, I'll serve the Lord as long as I can do it my way. We'll play ball. I'll, I'll go, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll play the game with you. We play with my ball by my rules. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to build an ark, if you're going to have the blessings of God, they're on his terms and his way. He calls the shots. You quit calling your own shots. And that's a difficult thing to do. And I say this not trying to be funny. I said it on Wednesday night. I know some people that are control freaks and they have control issues. I mean, I met some of you, there has to be some of you because just going by pure numbers, there's got to be people in here that they, they like being in control. They're a control freak. And, and I'm not making fun of that, but for some people like that, it's really hard to let go of control and say, God, you know what? I'm just, what if your word says it, I will do it. You're in control. That's harder for some people than others because they really like calling the shots. And for some people, maybe it's not, they're not as, you know, addicted to get as much of a rush out of being in charge or whatever. That, but, but listen to me. No matter who you are, we're all on the same playing field here. We all have to come to this place where we say, Jesus, you're Lord. You call the shots. We're playing by your rules now. Whatever you say to do it, I'll do it. If your word says don't do it, I will quit doing it. You're in charge now. And when we say that and we actually do it, it can be, it's a step of faith. That's getting out of the boat and walking on the water toward Jesus. But listen to me. It is worth it. It's worth it to make Jesus your Lord. Because not everybody that has Jesus as Savior has him as Lord. There's a lot of people going to heaven because they are a born-again Christian. 
But Jesus is not their Lord. They're their own Lord. They call all the shots. It's just the truth. A Lord is somebody that you obey and do things their way. Right? If you've got a landlord, you better not go repaint his house. He's going to get mad. It's his. You've got to do what he says to do with that house. Right? And then you can't get mad. Man, you're no fun. You're, man, you're, you're just full of criticism and judgmental. And Oh, uh, man, you know what? You've got a controlling spirit is what you have. No, I've got a deed to this house and I own it. Don't paint my house. It's mine. Right? Now, you own the place, then by all means, you're the Lord of that house. But a Lord is somebody that you obey. And so let's look here at Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at Luke chapter 6. But I am challenging you. That, man, maybe you love Jesus. Maybe you, you're good with Jesus. You're cool. You, you've, you've been a Christian for a long time. But I challenge you to examine your life and say, is Jesus really the Lord of my life? Do I actually do what he says? That's just something to consider. Now, of course, no one's perfect, but at the same time, you know if Jesus really is your Lord. And so here we have it in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. And I find this interesting, and I have preached on this very, very many times. But Luke chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 46, Jesus says to the people, he says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? That's a pretty good question. He said, why do you even call me Lord and you don't do anything I say? Basically saying, quit calling me Lord. I'm not your Lord. You don't do anything that I say to do. I am not your Lord. And I, you know, imagine that somebody just goes around calling you boss all the time. Hey, boss, how you doing, boss? And, you know, and, and you're like, why do you call me boss? I don't get it. And, but they're, boss, hey, I love you, boss. They're like, okay, um, could you go get, you know, say, go sweep that floor over there? What? And, and, and you know, uh, hey, could, all right. If hey, if you you insist on calling me boss, could you go make me a sandwich and you know, bring me a Dr Pepper? You know what I mean? There we go. And, and and they're like, no. Why are you asking me? You're so controlling. You're the one that called me boss. I'm gonna have to ask you stop calling me boss. You don't do anything I say. I am not your boss. And Jesus said to this group of people. Why do you call me Lord? You don't do anything I say. That's a very, that's a legit and honest question. And I'll bet that there's some people in 2019 where people go around, is Jesus your Lord? Amen. Jesus is my Lord. Yes, he is. Yes, he is, brother. Yes, he is. And Jesus is saying, why does that guy even call me Lord? He doesn't do anything I say. I'm not his Lord. So, I mean, if the shoe fits where, just think about that for a minute. Because if you're going to be building an ark, you're going to have to use God's word, God's house, and you're going to have to do it God's way. And so you're going to have to quit being your own Lord. And look at this. Verse 47, Jesus said, oh, okay, well, I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well built. Well, here we are talking about a flood again. Jesus said, hey, this guy built this house and a flood came, a storm came, but the house was fine because it was well built on solid rock. This guy did it the right way. Well, look at guy number two. But anyone who hears and does not obey 
is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. And it's not that God likes the one guy more than the other. It's not that God, this guy just got some sort of unfair advantage that nobody else got. These guys started out totally even. Two guys had the same opportunity in life. They both faced storms and floods. But one house was left standing. Why is that? Because for guy number one, Jesus was his Lord. The second guy came to Jesus, it says. He heard the teaching of Jesus. He just didn't obey them. These guys have a lot in common, just like a lot of Christians we know. But only one of them had made Jesus Lord. And when that storm came, his house was still standing. And so with all that, just everything we've talked about today, I am challenging you. No matter where you're at in your spiritual walk, no matter where you're at in your life, this could be the year to completely change your life in a great big way. This could be the year that you finally get stable, that, that your kids get where they need This could be that year. But God is giving you fair warning the very first week of the year. He's telling you, build an ark. There will be a flood. There will be storms come this year. Build yourself an ark. And you're going to be all right. And so, I'm telling you, man, build an ark. Make Jesus, not just your Savior, make Him your Lord. Let Him call the shots. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand up together today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.